Thank you, ladies. Amen. Good morning. Got a Bible. I ask that you grab it, please, and turn to the book of Revelation. Last book of the Bible. Chapter 3 will be there in just a minute. First of all, thanks for braving the cold. Uh, I appreciate you being here. Uh, it's exciting to gather. Uh, I also want to say a, a, a quick thank you. Uh, my friend Blake's here, in case you're wondering. Um, he, we went to high school together. His family's here. I'm excited about that. We went to high school together. We lived in college together. So if you talk to him, I need you to confirm all stories through me. Uh, I'd like to be able to confirm or deny any of those, if you don't mind. Just kidding. But I'm excited. Uh, such a blessing to have everybody here today. Uh, hold your spot in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. We are in week 3 of a series called Turning Points. And uh, the heartbeat behind this series was in this month of January, turning the point for a new year, was to not just say that resolutions or ideas or things you want to change are bad. That's not the point. But to get to this truth where these biblical truths in our lives would be these turning points to create, instead of shoulds, they become wants. We want to read the Bible. We want to come to church. We want to grow spiritually. We want to do those things. Uh, and I shared a couple of weeks ago when we started that I can't tell you how many times that I've tried to do things and we come up with these pragmatic lists, just maybe like you do, of these resolutions or things we want to do differently, but then life kind of creeps in and we kind of stop. Because it's not because we really, really want to, it's because we think we should, and life squeezes those things out. So my heartbeat behind this series was that if we can look at these fundamental truths of Scripture and really grasp them, they could be turning points for us that could develop into other things. Uh, we talked in week one about how we uh, have everything we need for a life of godliness out of Second Peter. Last week, for those that were here, we talked about how we are complete, brought to fullness. The Apostle Paul says that we have everything we need. Yes, we are brought to completion, completion excuse me, in Christ Jesus. And that no matter what, as, as hard as it is to live, as easy it is to say, no matter what happens, he's enough. He is sufficient, and we can hold fast to that. Today is going to be talking about intimacy with Jesus. So I'm going to ask if you would stand, please. We'll read our text. Uh, you heard part of it in the children's sermon. Uh, Revolution, uh, Revelation chapter 3, look at verse uh, 14, if you would, excuse me. This is Jesus speaking as John records, chapter 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church of Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that they're neither hot nor cold, I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you or spew you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are a wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you. I tell you, buy from me gold and by fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve for your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens it, the door, I will open it and I will enter. And I will be with him and he with me. Let's pray together. If you would, just take a moment, bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second. Um, just a time for you um, to have a little moment. Just ask God to work in your heart. Um, if you don't mind, pray for me that I would preach as the text would lead and as the Spirit would lead. Um, but in your own heart, in your own way, would you just ask Him to do something fresh today on a simple Sunday morning in small town America? That as we gather in this place and we sing songs, 
about him and to him, uh, if you're so inclined, would you just ask him this morning, as we talk about being intimate with him and having a relationship with him and getting close to him, would you just ask him to do that today in you? Father, you heard your people. It's, it's, it's an honor to be here uh, on this cool morning. Thank you for the privilege and the honor we have to gather freely in this space. And Father, for the corporate gathering time that you've given us, that you have uh, entrusted us with, this, this corporate worship time, that we would continue to give you our very best. You're more than worthy of anything we could possibly offer you. May we continue to give our best as we open your word and see what you have for us today. We ask it all in the great name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. If I was to ask you, uh, if we're going to have a conversation, I was to ask you what some of the biggest struggles for the modern church is, you might say some things like this. You might say, I think what the local church is missing is, is maybe unity. Uh, maybe you're, you, would, you would articulate and talk about theological divisions, divides, conflict, things that could hurt the body. But I want to propose to you something that one of the most dangerous issues for the local church is this. You ready? Prosperity. Now, it's going to rub a little bit this morning because I'm talking about affluence and wealth and luxury, and none of those things are innately bad, and that's supposed to create a little tension for you because here's the reality. Why is this? Because, to be honest with you, most American churches can't handle it. We can't handle this idea of, of wealth and prosperity. Why? Because it creates an independence with us when we can kind of lean on ourselves, and if I could just be so bold, that we are not as desperate for him as we once were. You can look globally and you can see some of the churches in our world, India, Africa, China, and go all over globally, the churches that do not have what we have, nor the luxuries, nor the freedoms that God is exploding and doing some phenomenal things. As we look at this church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation, it's one of seven that's mentioned. And I, I, I spoke on this text, I think, about seven years ago. I'm sure you remembered it. Um, I'm just kidding. In uh, uh, the heartbeat behind this I was really praying through this, and I was just thinking, man, if we could just long for closeness with him. In the book of Revelation, there's seven churches that are addressed. Quickly, the church of Ephesus, and if you, just, if you use bridal language, the church is the bride of Christ. We'll talk about Laodicea in just a minute, but the church of Ephesus was described as the, the hypocritical church. As a bride, it was one who's kind of forgotten her husband. The church called Smyrna was the church that contemplated quitting in this marriage, if this relationship needing to overcome fear. Pergamum was a church of compromise that was in danger of being seduced by the world. Thyatira was a, a church, if you use broad language, that struggled with worldliness. Sardis was the church, if you use the marriage language, that struggled with complacency. And then you have Philadelphia, the church in Philadelphia, that was the faithful church. And then you have Laodicea, the church in question today. They were the wealthiest of all the churches. If you could use the modern-day language, their budget was met. They had everything they needed. They could do whatever they wanted. They had plenty of funds, plenty of resources, and they were known for that. Now, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to say a couple of things, and if you're a note-taker, this is important. We'll come back to this. Here's what they were known for. It was the wealthiest of all the cities. They were known for wealth in gold, it's important, wealth in wool, and in medicine. But they had a problem. Their biggest issue was water. We'll talk more about that in just a minute, but the closest hot spring and the cold spring were about six miles away from them. So the church that had it all struggled with its water source. 
I'm not just boring with these things because it's important. It'll come back in just a minute, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. So no matter what, the water that they had to, to, to pipe in through the aqueducts from the hot spring, by the time it got to the, to the city, was lukewarm. From the cold spring, by the time it got to the city, was lukewarm. It wasn't hot or cold. So Jesus is addressing this wealthy church that's got everything it needs, and it's going to use, excuse me, he's going to use an, an analogy, an explanation to help them understand, though you may have all you think you need, you're far from the source, as the children's sermon talked about. Look at verse 14 as we're going to start this. Jesus, right off the bat, is going to identify himself as the, the, the author of this. Look at verse 14. These are the words of the amen the faithful and true witness and the ruler of God's creation. Quickly, first, right off the bat, Jesus describes himself. He wants to be clear that he is the author. He's the one speaking here. He is the amen, which means, so let it be true. Secondly, he describes himself as the faithful and true witness. This title epitomizes his earthly life. He was faithful, he was true, and everything. And thirdly, he describes himself as being the beginning of creation. That word beginning is, means the source or the origin. We referenced this, I think it was last week when Jesus, as Paul described in chapter 1, he is the firstborn of over all creation. Everything is created by him and for him. He was in the beginning. So Jesus wants to be very clear that this is who is speaking. It is me speaking, but listen to the rebuke in verse 15 as we're going to get to the meat of this text. Verse 15, look at what he says. He says right off the bat in 15, he says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now right off the bat, verse 15, I need need to ask you a rhetorical question. Jesus says, paraphrase, I know what you're doing. How how does that land on, can I just throw this out at you and just kind of, just to think about. How does it make you feel to know when Jesus says, you can't hide. Your life is an open book you do in secret and when nobody else is around, the way you think, the way you act, the way you talk, the way you live your life, it is an open book and you're not fooling or hiding from anybody. I know what you're doing. Does that, how does that land on you? Because if I'm honest, it makes me wrestle with, man, I've got to wrestle with the omnipotence of God. He is all-knowing, but it also helps me to realize in conviction that I'm not fooling anybody. I, I ask some people when they look at this text and think, man, I don't know if I like that or not. If I'm honest, I don't know if I like the fact that my life is an open book, and we kind of live, if you're honest, if I'm honest, we kind of live sometimes as though we can kind of secretly do these things and live certain lives. And right off the bat, Jesus said, I know what you're doing. And look at what he says. You're neither hot or cold. He uses this metaphorical illustration. It'd be like me talking about agriculture. You would get it. Talking about to music people, talking about mechanical things to mechanical people. He used illustration because of their water issue to help them understand he's talking about this spiritual fervor this half-hearted commitment that they're having when I grew up and I was in youth group I remember stories about this and people whatever you maybe you've heard this and maybe in my generation of talk about being on fire for Jesus people use this text and they talk about cold is bad hot is good you need to be on fire for Christ being cold is bad that's not the case cold is good hot is good Jesus says I want you to be one or the other Jesus wouldn't say I want you to be cold if it was bad you could go all this so I, just to kind of change some paradigms about how we approach this text the lukewarmness in the middle is where he says I do not want you to be so if you've ever been taught or your your brain has been wired of cold bad hot is good that's it that's not that's not true Jesus says, I want you to be one or the other. 
But what he talks about, he says, I, this, this lukewarmness, he says, I'm about to spit you. But actually the Greek word is emeo, which means to vomit. There's another word that, that could have been used, pateo, which means to, to spit, but he didn't use that. He said, this church, the Laodicea church, its reputation, if I could put it this way, is a church that made Jesus sick. One commentator put it this way, some churches make the Lord weep, others make him angry, but the Laodicean church made him sick. Can we all agree that that's not a reputation that anybody wants for the church? That's not a hallmark of, let's put it on a poster, that's what we're known for. Nobody wants that. But what, what brought about it? Isn't that, isn't that the crux here? What brings about this rebuke from Jesus? Because if Jesus is rebuking this church, we need to learn from it. What was the problem? And the problem comes in verse 17. He's going to show them. Look at what he says in verse 17. He says, you say, I'm rich. I acquire wealth. Feel the weight of this church. I don't, I don't need anything. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pit, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Would you agree that sometimes in life, we don't always see things the way that we're supposed to? It's kind of beca- things kind of get a little bit blurry. Maybe we don't see the truth of where we are. This threefold claim is powerful. It is haunting when he says, you live and you claim, I got all I need. Like a church that would say, our budget's good. We got everything we need. We got all the money we need. We can do whatever we want. We can buy whatever we want. We can do whatever ministry. We can buy the coolest things. We can buy smoke machines, bubble machines. Oh, I don't know why I just said that. We can buy random stuff. We got the coolest stuff. We can do all of these things. But Jesus is rebuking in them, and he's saying, this is what you're living. You're claiming to say, I'm rich. I required wealth, and I don't need a thing. Hence the independence. I'll let you know when I need something. Now, nobody in this room would say, that's how I live. But the truth is, we all have been there at some times. And he's, he's shaking this church up to say, this is a church that is nauseating King Jesus. And he's saying, you are living independent, wealthy, doing what you got. I can take care of me. I don't, I'll let you know if I need something. And Jesus is saying, that's not going to work. There's a movie that I really like called The Family Man. I, I, you may have not seen it. I, I reference old movies, so if I spoil it for you, that's your problem. That's, you know, got to go watch it. Back in the 90s. Uh, there, it's, uh, uh, Nicolas Cage is in this movie. It's a Christmas movie-ish, if you will. And, and the whole premise of the story is this, and I have a point to it. Uh, he, he goes in this. He's a billionaire philanthropist, business guy, and he walks into this to the store, and it's getting held up by gunpoint. And the whole purpose of it is to give him a glimpse of, of the life that he really wishes he had. And so this store is getting held up by gunpoint, and the guy that's doing it, he kind of intervenes, and he tries to help, and he wants to say, hey, why are you doing this? He walks out with him and kind of talks with him, and, 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 and he says, hey, maybe you could get some help. And the guy said, you're trying to help me? You're trying to save me? And then the guy, Nicholas Cage character's name is Jack, and he says, well, everybody needs something. And the guy that held up the store that's about to give him this glimpse of this life that he wanted, he says, well, what do you need, Jack? And there's a line in the store, they're lying there, and when Jack goes, well, I got everything I need. And I don't know why, but that just jumped out at me, probably because I like that movie. And then he gives him a glimpse of the life that he wishes he had. Not all the money, but a family. They didn't have much, but he had a children, a family, kids, a life that he really, really wanted. But that line that he said, well, I got everything I need. And he said, it must be good to be you. I thought about that because when this church basically is living and saying, I got everything I need. Is it possible for a church to 
How, let me put it this way. To function that way? Of course it can be. Is it possible for a church, be possible for us in small town America to lose our awe and in, excuse me, dependence upon him and lean on things that we have? Of course it could be. Is it possible for First Baptist Church Olton to become a church that makes Jesus sick? Of course, if we're not careful. We always want to stay close. We always want to stay dependent and draw near. In this church, <clears throat> excuse me, living as that character, we're, we're good. I got everything I need. But Jesus reminds them, look at the end of verse 17. He says, you don't even see it. You don't realize. You're claiming these things. You've got all the money in the world and everything you need, but you don't see it. He says, you don't realize it. Look at Jesus' words. But you're actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Have you ever had somebody in your own life, maybe that loves you, a wife or spouse or friend, maybe somebody in your family that's concerned about you, and they come up to you and they kind of say something, and this is hard to hear, but I just got to tell you this. It's hard to see what I'm seeing. I just feel like I'm, you're struggling or whatever the issue could be. And you're like, I don't, what are you talking about? But then as the course of the conversation keeps going, you're like, man, yeah, you're right. I didn't, I didn't see it. Can I tell you how many times in over 20 years of ministry, the conversations with kids, adults, senior adults, it could be marriages, it could be all these things where people can be blinded and they don't even see it coming. They don't even see what's going on until someone or the Spirit of God speaks into them and they're like, I didn't, I didn't see that. Jesus trying to kind of pull the blinders off their eyes. And say, I know you think you got everything you need, but you don't even see who you really are. Now, this is where we need to see the history of the church. I talked about the water supply, and I have a couple of pictures for you. Uh, th th what happened was, as I said, they were six miles from the nearest water source. Those are aqueducts that they have modern-day pictures of them. And so what they had to do was they had to pipe the water in from the hot springs and from the cold springs. And this is why Deb and I were talking about, so many times we talk about this scripture about getting on fire for Jesus, but here's the bottom line. The reason the water was not hot nor cold when it got to the city, and the reason that Jesus used this metaphor to help them understand was not to say you got to clean up your act and do better, or start doing this Bible plan, start reading, start going, all those are awesome by the way. The point of the whole message, the point of this whole context is, if you want to be hot or cold, you got to get back to the source, Period. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, and I've, I've been preached to on this context. And, and, and it's so much about, we got to be on fire, we got to do this. No, the point of Jesus' message is saying, you want to be hot or cold? Because cold can be good for refreshing and, and, and things like that. Hot is good for medicinal purposes. Get to the source. So if you're paying careful attention, Deb did a great job of the children's sermon, after, because we talked about this. It's, it's not about just saying, we want to be hot, not cold. No. When is the water the hottest? At the source. When is it coldest? At the source. When, is you and, when are you and I, excuse me, are we most spiritually growing and maturing with Jesus? In our relationship, most intimate, it's at the source. So the question of the day is this, before we even go on. If you long for intimacy with Jesus, if we want to be somebody that's close to him, we got to get back to him. Now, rhetorically speaking, what are things in your life, if I was to ask you privately, are things that can cause you to drift? Things that might cause you to push him away? Maybe for you it's not wealth. Maybe for you it's not this. Maybe it's, there's other things that as long as you have these ducks in a row, whatever that means, as long as this is in line, you're good. 
Me and Jesus are good as long as we have this. We talked about that last week a little bit. But Jesus is trying to reveal to this church, he's trying to unpack this about them to see it because they don't. He wants them to see, yes, you think you have everything you need. You're living and you even claim that way, but you don't. Is it possible to lean on what we have and push away what we really need? Yeah, absolutely. The issue is proximity. The issue is closeness. The issue is getting intimate and being close to Jesus. As we get to verse 18, look what Jesus says. The reason I bored you earlier with what they were known for, wealth and gold and wool and medicine, look at what he says. Here's the invitation. Yes, I want to expose. Here's what you are. Here's who you really are. Don't, don't, draw, don't go far from me. Come back to me. Look what he says verse 18. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that's been purified by fire, then you'll be rich. I'll talk about that in just a minute. And buy white garments from me, so you'll not be shamed by your nakedness. And ointment for your eyes, so you'll, you'll be able to see. Those three things sound totally random, but if you understand that's what they were known for, what is the invitation to them? Come to me. Come to me. Buying gold for him is, is an example of what he's trying to help them understand is Come to me, not for earthly, but for spiritual treasures, not materials. He says purchase white clothes, excuse me, clothes to wear. He's talking about having a righteousness and an awareness of your sin. He's not talking about just putting on clothes. He's talking about having an understanding. When he's talking about a salve for your eyes, what he's telling them is, I want you to see truth. I don't want you to be blinded by what you think you see, what you feel you are. I want you to see truth. That's what Jesus does. He invites them to come. Come to me. Come to me. Seek spiritual treasures from me. Live righteously and be aware of your sin with me. Man, there's such application for that. But if I'm honest, if we're honest, all that is well and good. Now, hear my heart this morning. But if you don't want to do that, you're not going to do it. If I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. If I don't desire to be close to him, I'm not going to do it. Regardless of prayers or strategies or tactics, without the proper motivation of truly wanting to do it, I think maybe you would attest to this, you're not going to do it. One of my favorite uh, pastors I like to listen to is a guy named Ben Stewart. He, he, uh, I listened to a, a sermon of his a while back, and he shared a story when he was in college. He, he, was, he needed a job, so he went to apply for a job, and there was like a, a computer tech job that they were going to show him. And so he comes in, and he, knew, he said, man, I walked in there, and like within like two minutes, I knew I do not want this job. It was, a, it was a dark office. It was this rusty old computer there. You had to walk by. This, it was just, he goes, man, I knew, I knew right off the bat I did not want that job. But the guy spent an hour showing me around everywhere. But this is what he said. He said, you know what? He goes, I spent an hour listening to this guy tell me a job that I knew I didn't want it in the first place. He was telling me the tactics of how I was going to do that job. But I was like, I ain't doing that. I know I don't want the job. But he listened. He listened. He listened. And he spent over an hour being told tactics, strategies. Here's how you're going to do it. And he was just kind of like, that's great, but I don't want the job. I'm not doing it. The point of it is, even like in a message like this, you can hear tactics, strategies, we can give all these kind of things, but if you don't really want the job to do it, you're not going to do it. 
When's the last time anybody forced you to do anything you didn't really want to? A whole lot? It doesn't really happen a whole lot. You, you're going to choose willfully to do that. So Ben's strategy is just like us. If we're not properly motivated to want to have intimacy with Jesus, whatever strategies you think you have, it's not going to fall, fall, it's going to fall through. I can stand up here. I can preach. I can teach. I can give you tactics, strategies. Here's how to do it. But you have to decide if that's what you want. Look at verse 19 as we wrap this up. Look at what he says. He reveals who they really are, but, but look at what he's after here. In case you think this is hard language, church, look what he says. Man, those I love, I added the man. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Look what he says. So be earnest and what? Help me out. Who's got their Bibles? What does it say? Help me out. It says, so be earnest and repent. Now, repent sometimes in the church, we talk about repentance of like, you know, I'm walking this way. I remember taught in youth group. It's like you're walking this way, and then you're going to repent, and you're going to go this way. Which, that's okay, but it's not, the, it's not the whole biblical truth. To truly repent means you have a change of mindset the way that you look at it. That's what repentance is. And because you see it clearly and differently, the should becomes a want. I'm not saying, I, yeah, I probably should stop doing that. I probably should start doing it. No, he's like, man, I want to because what breaks Jesus' heart breaks my heart. Jesus reminds them, just like I want to remind you this morning, in case you feel like this is it's difficult language, he says, man, I, I love you. And those that I love, I rebuke them and I discipline. Anybody that's a parent in the room, you get it. You don't, don't tell them, we can't say we love our kids, just do whatever you want. It's your world. Call me if you need something, right? Let's try that for a day and see how that works out. You just tell me what you need. Need some money? That's great. Whatever you need. Come in when you want to come in. No, you, you have to. You have to rebel. I mean, they're not have to rebel. You have to, 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 to do those things. You have to rebuke. I meant to say rebuke. You have to rebuke. You have to discipline. Why? Because you love them. You love them enough to tell them what's hard. You love them enough to give them boundaries. You love them enough to give them curfews. Parent, kids, no parent told me to say this. But you love them enough to do that. Why? Because you love them. Your love for them is not going to be bartered with. You're not going to change because, man, I hope my kids like me. I hope I can be buddies and friends. No, I'm your parent. I'm your mom. I'm your dad. And I care about you, so I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to discipline you. But Jesus says, be earnest and repent. And if there's anybody here today or this church in Laodicea, the, 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 the desire is to change. Are you distant from him? Then you don't have to be. Repent. Confess that I'm independent. My, my intimacy with Jesus is lacking. I'm not, I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to small group. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But I'm going to keep trying. Maybe if we stop trying, which as I said a couple weeks ago, which, and just kind of keep pragmatically doing this list of things, but if we fall on our faces and say, I just need to get back. I need to be near. That's what I want. And whatever that means, that's what I want to do. I want to get back to the source. I want to get back to Jesus and be intimate. That might manifest itself in certain ways of, yeah, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to do the things that Jesus expects the church to do because I want to, not because I have to. Look at verse 20. Did you see, as I finish it, look what he says. Here I am. You've heard this text. I'll talk about that in just a minute. He says, here I am. I stand at the door. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, and I'll eat with that person, and they with me. Baptists love this verse because there's food involved. That's what we love, okay? 
What, what, what I want to I be clear on this, so many times, even growing up, I, I heard this verse, and it was such an evangelistic verse. But that's not what he's talking about. This verse is for believers. This verse is for the church. Did you see who took the action here? Did you see who, who stepped in? God does. He comes. Jesus says, please hear this, I'm, and I'm almost done. He says, look, I'm, I'm at the door. I'm right here, but you've got to let me in. There's a willful choice for us to respond to the Savior who says, I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. You don't have to look very hard. Please hear this. Please hear this. You don't have to look very far to find me. I'm not hiding from you. I'm right here. But you have to want to. You have to say, yes, that's what I long for. I'm tired of leaning on myself. I'm, try- I'm tired of being independent. I'm tired of living like Jesus. I got good. I'll let you know when I need something. Or when something goes wrong, Jesus, I'll let you know. But until then, just kind of stay there. I love how John Piper puts it this. He says, the king of heaven will not make us run far and wide to find him. Please hear this. Even when we indulge in self-reliance and put off prayer and we slowly drift away, listen to this, he stays close. He's at the door. He's just outside even right now. He doesn't want to spit us out of his mouth. He, He wants to eat and laugh and sing with us at the banquet of his grace and his mercy. And he's talking about this intimate relationship with him. I don't know how that lands on you, but what I need to hear is this. That when, not if, but when I stray and when I wander and I, when I live, because I, I believe that anytime we, be, we sin, it's not accident. Like, oops, I didn't mean, no, we willfully choose to live in these sinful moments into what we think, we say, we do. And in that moment, I'm choosing me over him. But what a refreshing reminder to know that when I distance myself and I, I find myself straying and wandering, that I don't have to send out a search party and go find Jesus. You know, people, we said, man, I finally found Jesus. Well, he, had, he wasn't lost, you know. Like, we, he's been there the whole time. He's right there. Standing at the door, knocking. That was my knock. What are you going to do? Is this a kitschy story that's kind of cute, or is it something that you need to hear? Because I need to be reminded of this, that the king of all kings wants to have a relationship with me. And he's not just saying, get on fire for me and do, no, yeah, come back to me. Repent. See, see who you really are, because you may not be who you think you are. This church was convinced that they were all of these things, but they verbalized and lived. I got everything I need. In verse 20, there's a twofold response. He's at the door. He's knocking. But to those, please underline this or just pay attention to this part. He says, if you hear my voice and you open the door. And connected to those two conditions are three things. He says, I will come in. This is awesome. I will come in. There's a promise of Christ's personal entrance into the church, the body of believers to us face to face. He says, I will dine. We Baptists like to eat. It's all good. Talking about personal fellowship to the repentant believer. Those who say, yeah, I'm not seeing myself very clearly. I, I need to repent. I got I to change. I got to get back to the source. I got to get back to him. Jesus says, I will dine, we'll have intimate fellowship, and it says, verse number three, he will dine with me, a reciprocal fellowship. This is not an offer of salvation, though Jesus wants to, he's talking about those who know him in the church that have drifted into independence, apathy, and isolation. 
as I close, I'll, I'm going to leave you with this. There's uh, a couple more things, but that, that, that guy, Ben Stewart, I was talking about, I, in, in the same message I was listening to some of these things, he was talking about what motivates. Like, even on this Sunday morning, what's, what would motivate you to change? And he shared a story, and he says, you know what, the only thing that we're ever going to do something is if we're properly motivated, and there's lots of things that can be motivators. Fear can be a motivator. That's not always a good one, but it can be. People around our lives can help us, you know, accountability can motivate us, but one of the things he talked about being properly motivated was desperation. And something he said that kind of hit my heart, he said, sometimes I don't think the church is desperate enough. And his story was this, he shared a story back when he was in his 30s pretty healthy. He had a herniated disc with bulging disc around it. I don't know what that means, but it sounds pretty bad. Um, but his testimony is this. He said, I couldn't even, I couldn't stand up. I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything. And he prided himself on being pretty optimistic and thinking, I'm just kind of the glass half full kind of guy. Like, hey, we got, the church has got to go. We got to, I got to preach. I got to go do this. He goes to the doctor with his pregnant wife at the time, and they're in the doctor's office. He's like, yeah, I need to get a shot, maybe fix this thing out. I need to help. Just let's get this going so I can do it. And the doctor said, said I, I think I need to make you aware of your situation. Let me say that again. I need to make you aware of your situation. And Ben's like, what? And here's what the doctor said. I can't fix you. There's no fixing what's wrong with you. I can't do anything. I can't operate on you. I can't, it, 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 there's nothing I can do. The only thing we can do, you can do some therapy. You can work on something. And maybe, maybe you can kind of get some functioning back. And he looked at his pregnant wife and he pointed at her and he says, you will not even be able to hold that baby if, you don't, if something doesn't change. And Ben's story is this. He says, guess who got desperate real quick? Kind of like somebody who goes to the doctor. You're like, man, I eat whatever I want. And you're like, doctor's like, hey, you got all kinds of damage going on in here. And you're like, maybe I need to cut back on some bacon now. Desperate real quick. Desperation. And Ben was just talking about this story. And he says, you know, I got desperate really, really fast. He goes, I went to therapy. I went to rehab. And not the kind of rehab that you go and do therapy that you post pictures about. He goes, no, I was doing rehab and I was trying to lay on my back and squeeze a ball between my knees without crying. I was trying to stand on one leg next to an 80-year-old that was doing more than I could. Humbled, broken, desperate. And all the while, he kept thinking, I will do, he told that therapist, this is his story, he said, I told that therapist, I will do whatever I have to do. Whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. And I thought about that. When Ben says, I got this real quick, I thought about our, our structure, the church here, you, me, those that can hear my voice. I wonder if we're ever desperate enough. To me, that's the crux of this whole thing. Of like, you can say, I'm distant from Jesus. I want to be close to him. But sometimes, what's going to motivate us? Do you want that enough? Because when we do, that'll change. You may say, David, I don't know. Um, how, how am I? How do I know? Give me some, some things on this. And, and as I wrap this up, uh, Francis Chan has a couple things on lukewarmness. And this is a, here's, here's some litmus test if you're thinking, man, I don't know where I'm at. I know in my heart, I think I'm okay, but how do I know? Here's some, some testers, if you will, before I close about maybe we're lukewarm, maybe we're not. Chan says this, lukewarm people think about life on earth more often than they think about eternal things. Here and now matters more than eternity. Lukewarm people, listen to this one, this one kind of stings a little bit. Lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expects. Whew. You want to go to church? I'm supposed to go to church, read my Bible, I'm supposed to live it? That's, the, that's for those Jesus people. I turned back from the DC talk days when I was growing up. That's Jesus freaks. That's, that was a, that don't, that's not bad. That was a song, okay, back in the 80s, 90s. 
That's for the really, really sold out Christians. Ready for this? Another 90s term? That's for the on fire Christians. No, that's for those who are Christians. Do you call radical what Jesus expects? A third one is lukewarm people are continually concerned about playing it safe. We'll talk, we, comfort zones is going to come up in this series. They're slaves to the God of control. They, this focus on safe living keeps them from sacrificing and, and stepping out and risking for God. Lukewarm people, this one hurts a little bit too. Lukewarm people, they don't really want to be saved from their sin. They just want to be saved from the penalty of sin. What he's saying there is, it's not saying I, I, don't, I don't want to truly be born again and made alive and live for Jesus. I just don't want to go to hell when I die. If I can just guarantee that, I'm good. I'll just go back to life and live. The invitation this morning is this, is not to say, I want you to get on fire for Jesus. The invitation today is to get to the source. So let me ask you to bow your heads where you're at for just a minute. Here in just a second, the, the praise is going to come up, and I ask them to sing a song, Draw Me Close, just for us to sing and let it be an invitation, of maybe a declaration. But Jesus' invitation to you is what I'm offering. Jesus promises to draw near. He promises to be intimate. He promises an intimate fellowship with the believers to those who would respond to his knocking and to those that would hear his voice. The psalm that Dev read at the very beginning of the service before we sing was this. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far will perish and he will destroy all who are unfaithful. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made him my sovereign Lord and my refuge. And I will tell everyone of his deeds. Would you pray? This is your time as you pray. The praise team is going to sing, Draw Me Close. I chose this song on purpose. But here's what I want you to do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. When you're ready to sing, come on, stand up and sing. If I can pray with you, or if Dev can pray with you, or if you just want to come kneel on the stage and say, I just, I got to get back to the source. If you want to get on your face where you're at, my only request is this. Please hear the longing for Jesus. He's there. He's asking. He's saying, come to me. Hear my voice. Repent. The question is, are you motivated and desperate enough to do so? So this is your time. You pray, you sit, you stand, the team's going to sing, and then I'll be here if I can pray with you.